I was totally surrendered. It wasn't my control. I was gonna do what I knew I could do, the best that I could, and the rest is through faith, just letting God do his work through me and giving me the favor that day. When I tell you, like, I felt the presence of God with me on that day, um, the Holy Spirit, every single fight, and that's purely what it was. You are now tuned into Stay Dangerous. Hey, well, on the show today, we have Victoria Stambaugh, who uh, I didn't even know was like a neighbor to us here in the Woodlands. Yeah. I, thought, I thought you flew in. Yeah. Uh, I was like super excited you came in, and now I find out you're actually here, and you own a martial arts school here yeah. in town, but it's, it's awesome to have you here. Oh, it's so an honor. It's sure. an honor for me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super honored to be here. Yeah, well, we have a stage full of martial artists. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and uh, if, any, if we need to take care of any of the crew back here. This is... <laughs> We could dangerous. Like, we could, yeah. Dangerous we are place. staying dangerous. Yeah, make sure they make me look good. Be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think you could take most of those guys out. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, so not only you're martial artist, you're an Olympic athlete. And so, yes. So yes. we're happy we're amongst the Olympian. Yeah. And uh, and as I know, every Olympian has an uh, incredible story because of the amount of work that it takes, a lifelong amount of work it takes to get there. Oh yeah. And so I think we want to start off with that. Like, tell us your story. How do you how did you become an Olympian? Where did it begin for you? Yeah, so I'll go back to how it all began, how it all started um, with my dad, really. Um, him being a professional boxer, me growing up with him in the household, obviously. Um, I learned boxing before anything. So um, I learned how to throw my punches, footwork, head movement, all that before any other sport. And then um, as I started to get a little older, my parents wanted to put me and my brothers into some kind of self-defense but they weren't gonna put me into boxing because they don't want that kind of sport where I'm you know, young getting punched up and all that, right? So um, we uh, first started judo, then we went into karate, and then our cousins were doing taekwondo where they were doing full contact sparring and um, told us to come check it out. And my dad and mom went ahead and uh, put us in there and they loved it and you know, I just did anything my parents told me to do really. I was that kind of kid and I was pretty athletic and anything that I did. So got into it. Um, and I enjoyed it mainly because like my cousins were doing it and my brother was doing it. It was like a family thing. Yeah, social kind of, yeah. It is more social. Yeah. yeah. And then come to find out I was doing really well and I was, you know, I was shining a little bit out there. And then, uh, just my motivation as I was younger behind, uh, Taekwondo and just like pursuing it was Jackie Chan. So, yes. I, yeah, so Jackie yeah. Chan was the reason why I wanted to pursue martial arts in general. How about how about you, Chad? I grew up on yeah. Jackie Chan. I don't know. Like, no, I'm older I mean, than you guys. I grew up. I grew up on like American Ninja. Uh, yeah. the, 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 what was that? Michael, you're, you're my age in the back. You remember that? Uh, <laughs> that what? That white dude that was uh, uh, he was he was in Japan. And he was like a ninja. No, no. Before no. Yeah, that guy. Oh, okay. that, that was that was. I don't even. <laughs> yeah, it was way before you go. Yeah, they were like that's when they were jumping in trees back backwards, like. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. But but I did like Jack. I remember when Jackie Chan came. I, what I liked about Jackie Chan was not just the martial arts, but the stunts. Yeah, yeah. the stunts yeah. aspect. I, I grew up on Jackie Chan, and so I I yeah. that was also for me like you know we went different paths as far as mm-hmm. the arts we chose, but mm-hmm. but to me I was like man that's the coolest thing uh, in the world. Also, I think man. Before you get too far ahead, I think it, I think, and Chad and I know we agree yeah. on this, and obviously you do because you have a school that teaches mm-hmm. this, but the importance of teaching 
the youth how to defend themselves uh, is so underrated. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to be, you know, I, I, in our household, uh, you're going to do, uh, we choose jujitsu because that's just what, what we've chosen. You're going to do jujitsu. You can pursue another sport that you love, mm-hmm. um, but you're going to do, you're going to learn to defend yourself, yeah, you know, in today's world. So I think um, that's so important. So cool that's that your dad instilled oh, yeah. that in, in you yeah. at a young age. Yeah, that was the father figure he was, yeah. you know, made sure that we knew how to defend ourselves. And he actually wanted us to pursue jiu-jitsu and judo more, but mm. it, I think it was the, like the family aspect, I think, of uh, taekwondo, yeah. having cousins in it, you know, that kind of like made it more appealing. Well, I started at a young age too. I started at five and my grandmother took me to a karate, traditional karate school mm. when I was five but had nothing to do with reason for martial arts. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home in childhood. So my grandmother was watching me, my parents go through a divorce and it was just very, she wanted me to be somewhere positive. So it's a social atmosphere of putting me in a positive environment. And I actually, I don't remember because I was so young, but for some reason I didn't gravitate to the karate side. Mm. And I, and I went to a, they had a small group of traditional because karate is more Japanese. And uh, so they they had a a small group of Japanese jujitsu People that, oh. So I ended up doing that. I can't remember because I was too young, but ended up in that. And so that's how I ended up in Japanese traditional jiu-jitsu and, oh, wow. uh, and did that for – I had my black belt in traditional jiu-jitsu as right. well. Uh, and, then, uh, and then eventually in 1995, got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, but it was okay. – you know, I was – as an adult, I was 20, maybe 21 years old. I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So my, I grew yeah. up doing the traditional arts, judo, Japanese jiu-jitsu, and I still did some karate. Uh, I actually got a karate black belt. But there's all these different arts out there, and um, Taekwondo is the the yeah. Olympic yeah. martial art, right? So, right. I mean, yeah. people could talk about jujitsu and stuff, but we don't have yeah. our sport. We don't have the judo. Judo's the judo's Olympic yeah, sport. Judo's judo Olympic wrestling. Sport. Um, yeah. They had karate last Olympics um, for Tokyo because it's a Japanese sport, and right. it was in Japan. It was uh, in Tokyo, right. but it's not going to be in the Paris Olympics. Um, yeah. So Ta- Taekwondo is the big one. Taekwondo is the big one. It's yeah. been in the Olympics from the, uh, well, since t- 2000. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time. Um, so, yeah, and it's been consistent ever since. And, yeah, yeah that's the big one. So I, I want to talk about Taekwondo because, one, I definitely don't want to offend you uh, <laughs> because I love all martial arts. But <laughs> I, I want to talk about it in the sense that uh, a lot of people probably misunderstand Taekwondo because it, it has become so mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people in the martial arts community especially like yeah. have like a negative – towards taekwondo but I've, so i'm probably not telling you something you don't know right so yeah. yeah but um but i've seen some incredible and the ufc has some guys that come from yeah. incredible like strikers that come from taekwondo yeah. backgrounds yeah so like i said i didn't want to say that if you i want you to be able to have a chance to like put a you know some silence <laughs> and that stuff because uh, yeah. i know there's some taekwondo guys out there in in the ufc that super has, dangerous that yeah. super dangerous strikers yeah. yeah no it's absolutely true I, that's why i'm laughing it's because yeah. i see so many comments like <laughs> on social media or whatever but it's uh it's the truth and here's the thing with if you're comparing olympic taekwondo to like a, a street fight or self-defense that's not what it is yeah, olympic yeah, yeah. taekwondo is a sport just like uh, soccer is a sport, taekwondo is a sport. And um, what makes it a sport? It's the accuracy, it's the timing, it's the speed, um, it's the game, it's the chest of, it's a chess game, right? So we wear electronic protection. So electronic hogu, we have electronic helmet. And uh, the point of it is to register 
the the chest car and we have electronic feet gear so when so it knows when you're hitting where you're it hitting. knows w the the pressure so it knows the power and um it knows where so if you hit the the chest car then two points goes up if you hit the helmet three points go up if there's spinning techniques then the referee will add uh points depending on if it's the body or the face and so for taekwondo athletes um if you were to take a Taekwondo athlete and put him, for example, in a UFC match, um, I think, you know, what you would see is the precision, the timing, the accuracy. Now, obviously, a Taekwondo athlete will have to learn all the other sure. martial yeah. arts, boxing and grappling, ground fighting, all that. But if we're talking about pure kicking, you know, it's about the timing. It's about the accuracy. Um, it's about the speed. Um, it's about the... Uh, setting up the setup for the next technique or the the chess match of it. So um, again, Taekwondo, uh, yeah, w when you see it in the Olympics, it's very possible to get knocked out. That's part of the sport. You know, it's full contact. So if you can knock someone out, go ahead and do it. But I tell you what, it's super hard to do that because their kicks and we know you know to expect a kick coming right the, the defense is so good the defense yeah. is so good especially yeah. at that level um you do see a couple knockouts here and there uh, but again at that level the defense is so good and we know not to expect a punch to the face they're all going to be kicks or something yeah, yeah, so yeah. uh you know you expect that but um but yeah taekwondo fighters are extreme strikers they we yeah. have precision and accuracy like no other. Uh, that's what we train. Hey folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and want to secure finances, look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power. And major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here. Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info on digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group. They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they can even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals... Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-4653 or hit up their website at midasgoldgroup.com. That's midasgoldgroup.com. 
They're all about giving friendly, no pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Robichaud, they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? So don't wait around. Secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group. Swing by MidasGoldGroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Robichaud sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. The, um, the thing like for me is a lot of parents that became UFC fans have pushed their kids, I think, into you know, living vicariously through their kids through these like you know, take them to be, a, you know, take their five-year-old daughter to be an MMA fighter and take them to jiu-jitsu gym. I actually have changed my position on that. I think that uh, parents, instead of taking them to, uh, if they want them to be involved in that, those type of sports, like taking them to fundamental martial arts, yeah. like a uh, taekwondo or a karate school, uh, take them to gymnastics to learn to hand, because yeah. you don't learn a lot of that stuff in jiu-jitsu. It's body and, awareness. Uh, it's body yeah. awareness. Yeah. Like a, Coordination, body awareness. Yeah. I mean, if I was to coach a guy that I'm like, wants to be a UFC fighter, I would much rather a guy that has either wrestled or done a traditional more short like taekwondo or done gymnastics for years before yeah. I start coaching them. Yeah. Because uh, you just don't get a lot of those fundamental things in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You kind of start off and almost because you start grappling right away mm -hmm. that you, that and you could be really good fast that you can mm -hmm. have a lot of shortcuts. Yeah. So I see guys that are really good at like in competition in sport jujitsu, but they lack so many fundamentals. And, I get uh, it. Yeah. And and I think in a, a traditional martial art like taekwondo, you have to go through the process of fundamentals because the traditions of it, which I think I is mean, great. The technique for taekwondo is the best, in my opinion, for kicks. It's just the best martial arts to learn for technical. Um, it's the prettiest as well. Obviously, you know, you see the taekwondo kicks, 540s, 720s. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's fun to watch. You see it on movies. Um, but I think also the um, uh, the use of it, how the speed um, and power play uh, hand in hand. Um, you know, in Muay Thai, I love Muay Thai. I train a little Muay Thai too. I love all martial arts. You yeah, know, I love it yeah. all. But I think you got to be able to appreciate all of them for what they are and bring them together because they will, you know. Yeah, they complement each other. Yeah, they yeah. all complement each other. And I understand why a Muay Thai kick would have the technique that it has for the, for the time that you need it. But I also obviously see why the Taekwondo kicks have the techniques that it has for the time that you need it. You don't see them coming. Yeah, yeah you don't see him coming. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the point. It's like getting uh, to point A to B as fast as you can uh, with as much power and speed. So yeah. um, if you can be sneaky when, you, when you're throwing your kick and, you know, fake it to the face and knock them yeah. out and go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I tell you point. what, one of, the, one of the coolest and most um, impressive displays of athleticism is, is some of these like, um, you could correct me, Victoria, mm -hmm. what is it more like a... Um, I don't know what to call it. It's not like sport taekwondo, but uh, it's more like a display when they um, do like pumse. Pumse. Yeah, yeah, when they do pumse katas yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. and they're flipping in the yeah. air. And you see these guys on America's Got Talent yeah. and stuff. And that that's you know that's the, taekwondo. That's, that's taekwondo. That's the, those. That's the Cookie One team. The Cookie One team. They go to all these uh, American Got Talent uh, or Italy Got Talent uh, competitions, yeah. and they blow everyone away because of their. It's amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. It's the five forties, the board breaking. Yeah. Um, it's just that's a way to demonstrate the sport in yeah. um, an extreme way, right? Yeah. So 
It's beautiful. Sorry, yeah. we got you off. I was talking about Jackie Chan, and, and then <laughs> yeah, took us and on then a tangent, but circles around to Jackie Chan, like yeah. you know. So, so you stuff. loved watching Jackie Chan carry yeah. us through the rest of your your journey. Yeah. So Jackie Chan was like my motivation. I wanted to be like Jackie Chan. Do, I actually want to be like Jackie Chan, doing the flips and doing the the. Uh, the wall climb ups and stuff like that. So I actually wanted to do that as well. So I wanted to do gymnastics when I was little. But anyways, that's a, another story. <laughs> so I continue martial arts because I wanted to uh, kind of be um, like Jackie Chan. And it wasn't until I was about 14, 14, 15. Uh, when I was 14, I made the USA junior national team. And then when I was 15, I made the USA national team for the adults and I was the youngest one on the team uh, at that time in that year for 2009. And um, th that is when my Olympic dream began. So it wasn't until I think like 14, 14, 15 to where so I was wow, like. It's actually a possibility. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, okay. I want to go to London. I want to go to London 2012. I didn't know much about the Olympics until I think maybe even like 12, 13 years old anyways. So um, it was when I made the USA national teams, I was like, oh, this is the path to get to the Olympics. It's like the best in the world. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I want to be on the biggest stage. So um, it was after I made the USA national team um, that that dream began. Uh, when I was 16, I ended up tearing my ACL. It was my first uh, knee surgery. So I was, six, I was only 16 years old. Wow, it's so young. Crazy. Now that yeah. I think about it, it was so young. But um, so I was out for that year. Um, and then during that time, the U.S., you, you know, said your ACL, my ACL. Yeah, okay. so that was my right ACL in 2010. So I was out that entire year and uh, coming back the USA at that time um, were producing better results in the heavier weights was like 125, 145. So um, coming back, I knew that my weight wasn't going to get selected for the Olympics for London because it's a process to qualify for the Olympics. It's not just like everyone gets a chance. Sure. Um, so. Yeah, explain that the, a little bit, Victoria, just because I know it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's super it's, confusing. Yeah. And Definitely. it's it, the, you know, uh, the possibility of becoming an Olympian is so rare, but yeah. even more so because explain how they, how it kind of dwindles down to basically just two weight categories yeah. for it. So so that's, that's essentially it. So there's eight weight categories in Taekwondo, eight uh, female, eight male. And for each male and female, they combine the eight weight categories to four. So, for example, my weight category is 108 pounds flyweight, and the one below me is 101, and that's fin weight. So for the Olympics, they combine fin and fly, 101 and 108 together, so it's 108 and below. Mm -hmm. So I'm the, the smallest weight category for the Olympic uh, weight categories. So now there's four weight categories, and each country can only qualify two weight categories for the Olympics. Um, unless, now there's another way to get all four qualified, which is for a country to have top six in each weight category, uh, which is very, very, very difficult to do. The only country I believe that's ever been able to do this is Korea. Mm. So Korea is the only one that's really qualified all four weight categories um, for the Olympics. Now, so if you don't get to, you know, qualify four weight categories for the Olympics in that way, then your country can only take two weight categories. So to even be selected 
uh, from your country to qualify your weight for the Olympics is very difficult because you're not only competing against your weight category, but you're also Everybody competing else. against all the other weight categories yeah. in your country. And you might you might not even have a shot because it might not be the right size. Exactly. You, might not be, you could be as good as the best person in the world, but if you're not the right size for that year. Exactly. So exactly. So say um, 145 and 125 uh, females are just dominating, and um, you're also doing well. You know, and I'm saying I'm 108, right? Because I am. Um, and I'm doing well, but those two weight categories in my country are doing better than me. Then they're going to take those two weight categories, and I'm not going to have a don't shot at the Olympics. I don't yeah. even get a shot. Yeah. But if my weight category, m me, myself, I'm dominating, and then there's another weight category that's dominating, then we're the two weights that are going to get selected by our Olympic committee to go to the Olympic qualifiers. So it's essentially like, we are competing against each other. All, our, all the weight categories are competing against each other with results. So we're not fighting each other, yeah. but we're just you know, trying to get better results than one another in a way. Because you have to, because that's how you get selected by the Olympic Committee. Yeah. So once yeah. you get selected by the Olympic Committee, finally, right, then you can go to the Olympic qualifiers for your region um, to qualify in the top two. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's basically you have to get to the finals in that regional uh, qualification. So, for example, I'm in the Pan Am region. So um, all the Pan Am region countries from Canada all the way down to Brazil compete against each other, and the top two make it to the Olympics. So it's, it's just it's yeah. very hard. Hey guys, Chad Robichaud here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into the irresistible beef from Skyrose Cattle Company. At Skyrose Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast legacy programs, Wayne Hughes Jr., the founder of Skyrose Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find, hands down. And trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Skyrose steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines. And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Skyrose beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. And every single penny of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy. 100% of the proceeds of Skyrose cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact one delicious bite at a time and head over to SkyroseCattleCO.com. That's SkyroseCattleCO.com today and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef. Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret. Every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Skyrose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off the charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks programs on Skyrose Ranch is a delicious Skyrose steak. 
hanging off the side of their plates with a Skyros brand on it. And our Warriors love them, and you will too. It's very hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then staying healthy because you're, really dealing with, you're dealing with the injuries. Yeah. So you uh, did you ever get surgery for yeah. your ACL? Yeah, so for 20, uh, 2010 was my first surgery okay. when I was 16. And then, again, like I was saying, um, I was out that year. So my weight category for the U.S. didn't end up getting selected. They end up selecting two heavier weight categories. So my shot for the London Olympics was basically out of the question. So at that point, I was kind of like, man, I, I mean, I, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to London 2012. And so um, I started thinking of different ways, which one way was fighting for a different country. And uh, Puerto Rico, the, the president for, from the Federation knew that I had family from Puerto Rico. And so he heard that I was looking for another country to compete for. And um, because I had family from Puerto Rico, he invited me. I made the Puerto Rican national team in 2011. And then um, he told me, you know, basically, like, we don't have our weights selected for the Olympics yet. Um, you know, depending on how you do the next year, then we can see if we're going to take you. So I went ahead, went... Um, started competing for Puerto Rico. Um, and then in 2012, I had my next uh, injury, which was the meniscus and ACL in the opposite knee. Wow. So it was the left knee this time. Mm. And then this one was really, really, uh, is actually the worst one because I tore my meniscus and it almost needed to be, compl um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what was like removed at that time or uh, not salvageable i don't know exactly yeah. but um anyways long story short the the meniscus and the acl were repaired in 2012 and then at that same time i went to go see my doctor for my left knee i asked him hey can you check out my right knee because for the past two years essentially when i um had that first uh, injury for my acl in 2010 i never quite felt 100 percent yeah. yet and i just I, you know, some people would just tell me it's me, that I'm not recovering yet, that I'm just, you know, I need to rehab more. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm young. I'm like 17 at the time. I'm like, man, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's stable. there. It's yeah. not stable. Like I, it's my knee is shifting still. So is that normal? So I went to another doctor, by the way, in 2012. And uh, his, his name's Dr. Lowe. He's amazing. He's the... Oh, that's who I just went to see. Wow. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. So I tore my... Oh, crazy. My AC, <laughs> yeah, I tore my, yeah, he's the best. He's the I best. I tore my ACL and, uh, and MC, MCL and uh, just like five weeks or six weeks ago skydiving. And, uh, and then <laughs> I got an MRI and they told me I had to get surgery. Okay. And, uh, and so I went to him. I had a friend that's... Uh, uh, those Vikings head coach and yeah. they recommended Dr. Lowe. He says like the best knee specialist in the world. Yes. And, uh, and it happens to be in Houston. So I went down and gave me a second MRI yeah. and came and to do the surgery. Uh -huh. And then he came back and said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do surgery. Wow. So he's awesome. Yeah. I was, we were just Isn't talking about that. Dr. Dr. Lowe. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a knee injury, Dr. Lowe's, the guy oh, he's the guy yeah. even if you don't live in houston like come he, to houston come to he yeah. could have he could have made a lot of money off of me and he he's like i don't want to cut your knee you're good you that's the difference yeah. from him that i noticed is that he was trustworthy like i felt like i was i knew i was in good hands and so we had a, we have a very long relationship of battling with all the surgeries because the first one he didn't do mm -hmm. but all the 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 last five he did that was all you know 
he helped me out. And I'm telling you, I mean, the way I came back from each one, and, and, and a lot of the nurses were telling me and the, the therapists, they're like, you know, Dr. Lowe does this for patients. Take yeah. it easy, but, you know, like, he does this. You will feel like you're just ready to come back, each one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Dr. Lowe was... What, what was cool <laughs> is I actually thought I was being ripped. No, nah, I, would, I wouldn't say ripped off. I was just like, he has... He had, he had my MRI, and he looked at it, and he's like, you need to use my MRI. And my insurance wasn't going to cover it. So that, I was like, it was like an extra thousand bucks in a pocket. And I'm like, oh, man, now i got to pay for this guy's MRI, another thousand bucks. But that's what kept me from surgery, because his MRI machine was 4K. He was able to see it. He, does, like, yeah. he did that to me yeah. every single time. And yeah. I'm like, well, you know, there's yeah. this other MRI place that I get for free. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the same thing. But he, he really wants to make sure, like, he's doing the right thing yeah. when he goes under. He doesn't so want that's to cut you cool. open unless it's absolutely necessary. Exactly. That's cool. Hey, yeah. You ever get stem cell? before I'm a, I'm, a no. plug, I'm a plug stem cell therapy right not now. not yet and i i think because it's actually not allowed in, in the sport. US. yeah oh, and, 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 and in sport and oh. uh for doping but i really i think yeah, i don't i don't know in the I ufc mean, I, it's allowed it so, isn't yeah and, then maybe and they have usada because so. it's, it's, okay then yeah. maybe it is i'm no, sorry yeah and that's usada yeah so yeah. but um okay i mean they're not injecting anything you know any it's organic. It's organic. Yeah, is so, it? Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we just had a guest on, uh, okay. Eric Scoffers, who's the mm. CEO of BioAccelerator in, in, in oh. Medellin, Colombia. And there's two places in the in the world that do like state-of-the-art stem cell, Panama and in Medellin, there's BioAccelerator. All the UFC fighters go to uh, oh, So wow. I, I've been down there. We just had Quentin Jackson on. He went down there. And, and I've had stem cell in the States before. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, do I feel better? Don't I? And then uh, and nothing. And I went down there and it was like... It was like miraculous, and wow. I, I'm not, I, I don't sell like snake oil. I'm, not, I'm usually like a skeptic for stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Like, I'll uh, definitely have to check it out. Yeah, that yeah. we have yeah. the hookup down there. Okay, Eric's, we can get you connected with. <laughs> Let him. me yeah. please. Yeah, it's it's Eric's the scoffers. Super cool, and yeah. and a, back to like Doctor Low with integrity. Like I've sent several people down to BioAccelerator, looked at them, mm -hmm. and, and wouldn't take their money because they're like, we can't help you, we can't. Like yeah, and yeah. Uh, so like a lot be. of integrity. Yeah, it's re really good people. My Pillow is celebrating their remarkable 20-year anniversary, and they want to thank each and every one of you for your support with an incredible offer. Right now, you can grab a queen-size My Pillow regulator priced at $69.98 for just $19.98, and for just an additional $10, you can upgrade to the king size. To claim this unbeatable deal, head over to mypillow.com and click on the radio podcast square. Use promo code Dangerous to unlock Mike's amazing offer. You can also call at 1-800-941-0272. That's 1-800-941-0272 and use the same promo code DANGEROUS. MyPillow's patented fill adjusts to your exact needs, ensuring you get the best night's sleep ever. The anniversary celebration also brings deep discounts on all MyPillow products from luxury bed sheets and cozy my slippers to soothing towels and comfortable mattresses. Now let me share a personal secret with you. I've experienced the MyPillow magic myself and I can't help rave about it. The pillows are amazing. I use my pillow every single night and the difference in my sleep since I've started using it is astounding. I wake up every morning and my neck feels great. Uh, I love my pillow. So here's your chance to join the MyPillow family and enjoy the best night's sleep of your life. Don't miss out on the biggest sale in MyPillow history. Remember that's MyPillow.com promo code DANGEROUS or call 1-800-941-0272. Don't wait. This incredible offer won't last forever. Sleep better and feel better thanks to my pillow. 
That's how it should be, yeah. you know. It's, um, but uh, yeah, I definitely would like to get the information on that. I, and thankfully, thank God, it's crazy with everything that I've been through with the surgeries. I feel good. And, um, you know, there's some times where I get some pain here or there if, yeah. I, if I do something stupid, um, like flips. <laughs> yeah. But um, but other than that, you know, I just I try and take care of myself and try and be smart, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so going back to the knee surgery, that day when um, I saw Dr. Lowe and he checked out my left knee and obviously the ACL meniscus were torn. torn. I mean, I was not even able to walk at that time I said hey can you check out my right knee because it feels like it's shifting and it doesn't feel right um so I remember before he left the room I made sure to ask him and my parents kind of looked at me like you know oh man um and then he did it and he was like you know moving my knee around and he looks at me and he's like looking at his um his physician assistants and he's like this right knee is worse than your left knee that you just tore. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, thank you. Like this whole time, I don't feel crazy that my knee was shifting out of place the whole time, right? So anyway, so I ended up having, you know, double knee surgeries. In 2012, I got my left ACL meniscus. And then uh, 2013, he removed the cadaver that was in the knee for the right knee. And then he replaced it with um, my patella tendon. Um, so yeah, that, and that was at that time, one, two, three, four knee surgeries. <clears throat> and then coming, I came back in 2014, um, to try and qualify for Rio. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And then obviously I, um, continue on to try and qualify for Rio. I come back from those knee surgeries. I'm doing really well actually, um, compared to, you know, all the other weight categories in my, uh, country for Puerto Rico. And uh, so I end up being selected to go to the Rio Olympic qualifiers in 2016. And um, at that point, you know, I, I remember just praying and asking God, like, you know, is, is this what you want me to do? Like, is, am I going to qualify for the Olympics? And I just remember praying that, like, almost every day, like, God, is, is this it? Am I going to qualify? Is, is, is this what you want me to do? Because my whole little life I'm I'm asking God what do you want me to do in my life well like what am I on what am I on earth here to do for you and um I remember my best friend uh introduced me to a devotional that she was doing and I was like oh I want to do it with you like I'm getting ready for the Olympic qualifiers I need something you know I need a devotional to get uh into every single day so we started on a specific day it was with her church and I joined in with them and I remember, uh, you know, while I'm doing this devotional, I'm training for the Olympic qualifiers for Rio. Do you remember the name of it? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's called um, the Circle. No, the Circle Maker. No, it's Draw the Circle. So oh. there's two books, and it's by Mark uh, Batterson. Oh yeah, I like, um, like Mark Batterson. Yeah, yeah, he's great. So the first one is um, the Circle Maker, and the devotional is Draw the Circle. Yeah. So it's a 40 day devotional. Mm. He wrote, he wrote one of my favorite books, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy yes. Day. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has some great ones. I yeah. love that one. Um, so as I'm reading this de- devotional, it was like, I don't know, like the fourth day. I don't know exactly what day it was, but I remember like I'm reading and I'm like, 
man, I don't know if I'm getting anything out of this devotional. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm, nothing's really speaking to me, you know? You know, you yeah, have that, that when time. you're doing yeah. right? So you're, you're, you want, like, something to be spoken to you, like, right the first day, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm like, okay, but let me just keep going. Um, ends up, I don't know what day it was, but we're leaving from Mexico. We were training in Mexico, and we're leaving from Mexico to, I'm sorry, we were in Puerto Rico. We were training in Puerto Rico, leaving from Puerto Rico to go to Mexico to continue training. That flight, we were leaving out of gate D3, right? And it was super random. Like, I've never been out of that terminal or gate before in Puerto Rico. And end up, I opened my devotional. And the first thing, you know, uh, one of the little paragraphs, um, it says is gate D3. And I'm like, what? Wait, am I leaving out of gate D3? And he's talking about him leaving out of gate D3. Um, and then he's just, you know, explaining some stuff. Anyways, long story short, it, wow. it caught my attention. So I was like, okay, God, you know, that that's really weird. That's very coincidental, right? That I'm leaving out of gate D3. And here I am the day that I'm supposed to read this devotional. He's talking about leaving out of gate D3. That's weird. So I start listening and I start like knowing, okay, there's something here that I have to hear out and I don't know what it is yet, but let me be obedient and just read every single day. Um, so I, I'm doing that and here comes the Olympic qualifying day. Um, I won, win my first two matches to good fighters and I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going to qualify. Like I, I, I keep telling myself, no, I have the control. I have the power to, to win. I have the control and the, the power to qualify. I determine my destiny. That was like my mindset going in. It's like, no, I have the power to determine my destiny of winning or losing. I'm going to tell myself like, no, I am going to win this. Right. So I go in and the last fight that I'm fighting is this girl that I fought like two weeks ago at our training camp and I beat her. So I was very confident. Like, I was going to win uh, already. I was like living in the future. Like I got this, mm. like, I know I'm qualifying for Rio. Let's go. <laughs> and the, the time comes and we're fighting and the electronic helmets just weren't working. So, cause it's electronic gear. Right. Um, so I hit her in the face. I think that fight maybe three times at least solid and they just weren't registering. And I'm just like freaking out. Like what's going on? Like, hello. Uh, anyways, long story short, I ended up losing that fight by one point and I was just devastated because I'm like, this was robbed. Like this is the a robbed fight. Like I should have won. I won. And, um, after the fight, I was just, I'm, you know, I'm just devastated. I feel like, you know, literally something was robbed from me. Like yeah. I was supposed to qualify for that time for Rio. And, um, I didn't mention, but before you know, the fight in the morning when I went to go read my devotional, I opened my book up and the first thing it says is not yet. That was the title of the devotional for that day. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, not reading that today. Yeah. <laughs> so I put the book away and I went, you know, try to get it out of my head, did my thing competing, obviously, you know, lost very close. And then after I lost, I'm like, okay, let me just go read my devotional. Maybe that will help me. And so when I open it up, it says, not yet. Wait for the gift my God has promised you. 
And at that moment, I started just tearing, bawling, and just felt an overwhelming sense of love and a presence of just a big, tight hug and love. And I was just, I was okay. And it quickly, like, when I say like this, my tear and my sadness went from sad, sad sadness to just, just praise, just praise. I was just remember just praising at that point. Um, and it was like unbelievable for me. So that's when I knew I had to continue because I said to myself, if I don't qualify for you, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting, you know? So that's when I knew, okay, God does want me, I think, to do this. I need to be obedient and keep going. Um, and I told God, well, if I'm going to do this, I need you to provide for me the right trainers, the right training, everything that I need. Because right now I'm not, I don't have trainers here in Houston to help me get ready. Um, and shortly after, um, about four or five months later down the road, um, one of the best trainers, our coaches in the world at that time, ends up retiring from the Mexico national team, moves right here in the woodlands, and I start training with him to prepare wow. for Tokyo. And that was, I, I believe that was all God, you know, sending him. I didn't have to go anywhere. He sent, you know, someone yeah, yeah, to me yeah. Yeah. To, to get the training that I needed for Tokyo. Um, and so that, you know, that was a little bit leading up to, uh, to Tokyo. And so, but now there's a different story going into Tokyo. Now I'm feeling good. I'm doing really well at this point internationally. Uh, my my um, Olympic committee is definitely looking at me for this time to qualify for Tokyo. Um, which which Olympic committee? For Puerto Rico. For Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Yeah. So now I'm I'm completely with Puerto Rico. Um, there, I'm you know fighting for them completely. I'm uh, doing really well internationally. I got best female athlete of the year from for Puerto Rico uh, in 2017. So <clears throat> I'm doing well. Now in 2018, I end up tearing my meniscus again, and this one was in training, and it was the the left one that I did originally mm. back in 2012. That one hurts. Ah, the it meniscus. Just, like, it just yeah. Yeah, the meniscus is for it's, me. It hurts more than ACL. Yeah, my ACL doesn't hurt as much. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, like I think you can be good without the ACL. You know, depending on like what yeah. you really want to do. But with the meniscus, it's like you can not even walk. If it's really, if it's t torn, like mm. it's going to hurt to walk. Mm. Right. So um, I end up tearing it just a little slight bit, but you know, I can't train. I can't, I can barely walk. It hurts. So I have to go get surgery and I go see Dr. Lowe and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're going to get the surgery done. It should be fine. It should be quick. Um, he takes out, um, no, it wasn't savable. My, my meniscus at this time was, you know, worn and torn out, poor, you know, yeah. it's like, it's yeah. getting to that point. Right. So in 2018, he ends up taking <clears throat> a little bit out 15% just to, you know, uh, clean it up a bit. And I end up coming back and I feel great and I'm, I'm winning at opens and I'm doing really well. And, um, 2019 comes around and um, I qualify for the Pan Am Games. You know, I have other injuries along the way as well, like hamstrings and things like that I, that I have to get through. But the main ones are the the surgery ones, which are for the knees, right? So um, Pan Am Games come around in 2019. I end up my first fight tearing my meniscus again wow. in my first match in the second round. 
And I was like, and I was winning. And I was like, you know what? I know I just tore my meniscus again because I knew exactly how it mm. feels. I'm going to get up and I'm going to win this fight. And, you know, at least if I'm going to get surgery later on, I'm going to at least win this first fight. So I ended up winning the fight and I'm like limping away. And that was it for me. And um, I go see Dr. Lowe. And, uh, you know, I, I think I got the, the MRI that it wasn't with his uh, yeah. team. I just got, you know, normal MRI. So <laughs> anyways. He ends up saying, yeah, we, you know, you do need to get another uh, meniscectomy, basically. Um, but he was saying this one is going to be maybe about 30% more. Um, so still going to have, you know, maybe 70% of my meniscus in there, maybe 60, whatever, something like that, right? And so I'm like, okay, you know, like, let's do what we got to do. Let's get it over with so I can get back to training, right? And um, long story short, we get into the operation room and obviously I'm done. I'm under, I wake up and my parents are there by my bed and they look at me and I'm, you know, drugged up and everything still. So I'm super excited to be awake. I'm like, so how's everything? And then, uh, my dad's like, well, um, they had to take out your meniscus and, um, they, they came to us during the operation and he saw that the meniscus was actually worn and torn more than he thought. And um, he asked for permission to do what he had to do, which was, you know, remove the meniscus. Um, and I was just like, oh, really? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> and so it didn't hit me, obviously. I'm just like, oh, nice. And <laughs> I'm yeah. just eating some chocolate. And I'm just like vibing. And, um, and then it hits me. I asked my dad. I'm like, wait, so... You're telling me that I have no meniscus? Like, there's nothing in there? He's like, yeah, well, I mean, I think there's like 20% left, uh, you know, something like that, whatever. And I'm like, huh. And I'm just like, it's really starting to hit and dawn on me. And then I just remember just finally, like, with it, and I just tear down. And then I just tell them, I remember just... So I'm done. Like I'm, my athletic career is done. I I can't be an, an elite athlete without a meniscus, right? <clears throat> I just remember at that that day, I was like, "Wow, God, this is this is how it's supposed to end. This is this was yeah. my career ending like this. Like it was absolutely just one of the most de devastating news that I received. You know, it's basically saying like someone telling you." I don't know, just taking something away from me, right? Like my yeah. health, right? So, and I yeah. didn't expect it. You know, I wake up thinking it's going to be fine. And I wake up like, what? He had to do what? And I know at the end of the day, Dr. Lowe did what, you know, was best. Sure, sure. Because if he left the meniscus in there, I was just going to be in the operation room three months down the road, you know, right. and carving away some more. Yeah. Because it was all dead. It was all worn and torn. Yeah. It was just tissue yeah. in there. And it was getting in the way. So, um, so yeah, and I, I, the funny thing is, I remember that day specifically, one of my mom's friends ends up texting me this long text message, like randomly. I don't talk to her at all. And this was like right after my surgery. And I get out of the surgery, I'm, I'm at home at this point. I remember I'm still like crying on my couch. And I get this message and I read it, and she's basically telling me, a prayer she's like praying for me and saying that you know the lord sees you when you cry and the lord um 
the Lord has what's best for you. And don't worry. I, I know how many times you've fallen down, but you're a warrior and you get back up. And she's like telling me all this stuff. And she hasn't. And then at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mad at my mom because I'm like, Mom, did you tell your friends that I'm having surgery today? Who did you tell I'm having surgery today? And she's like, Pick, I haven't told anyone that, I'm, that you're having surgery today because I made sure that it was a secret yeah. because I didn't want my Olympic committee to know. Yeah. I didn't want them to know because then I knew I wasn't going to get selected Sure, yeah. for, the, for Tokyo Olympic qualifiers. So anyways, when she says she didn't, I was like, um, oh, my goodness. Like, that's exactly what I needed to hear, you know, and she had no clue what I was going through. And it was that moment that I said, OK, God, maybe this this will be OK, because, you know, I definitely felt spoken to at that moment. Um, I'm just going to listen to you. You know, if I'm meant to qualify for Tokyo, you're going to allow me to get selected for my Olympic committee, and I'm going to be obedient and, and go through with it. Six months later is the Olympic qualifiers. So I knew my time was super short and I didn't know how my recovery process was sure. going to be. And I remember now this is like five months later and I was with my boyfriend at the time. And I remember turning to him and we're at like a restaurant and I'm just kind of like sad. And I tell him, I said, I'm not ready to compete. And I, I tell him, I said, I guarantee you if, I qualify, it's not going to be by me. It's going to be a miracle because I'm not physically ready yet. You know, so this is a month before the Olympic qualifiers. And, and you I, know, as an athlete, you know, know if you're where yeah. you are or not, right? Yeah, you know physically and you, yeah. you can't lie to yourself. Yeah. You know, as much as you can be positive and say yeah. like, you got this, just give it yeah, everything, yeah. right? At the same time, you got to be realistic, <laughs> yeah. especially after going through a surgery. So, um so yeah, I knew, I knew, I just, if this was going to happen, it was, it was going to be because I was totally surrendered. It wasn't my control. I couldn't, you know, I was going to do what I knew I could do the best that I could. And the rest is through faith, just letting God do his work through me and giving me the favor that day. And I, when I tell you, like, I felt the presence of God with me on that day, um, the Holy Spirit, every single fight, and that's purely what it was. And then afterwards, I knew. I, and I just knew in faith that that I was going to qualify. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know for sure. Yeah. You know, that's sure. kind of like how faith works, right? It's like, yeah. no, I know this is going to happen, but I don't know for sure. But yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of like balance of co committing it and surrendering it to the Lord, but also being okay if, if it happens or it doesn't. Sure. Right? Yep. That's what it's about. Yeah. Um, so I ended up qualifying for the Tokyo Olympics six months after that knee surgery. And wow. uh, the very next day I was telling you, uh, the, the, the pandemic is going on during this time. And the very next day, the shutdowns happen all across the world. And so my tournament was the last tournament before all the shutdowns. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, uh, and I was just so happy that I was able to get my qualifying match over with so i didn't have to wait like a lot of other countries a year later yeah, because yeah yeah because the olympics got postponed to 2021 so it was a year later and a lot of countries didn't get to have their qualifiers until a year later and so they're like 
waiting in the pandemic and you know that's on their mind where i'm like qualified and i'm just like chilling and i'm just like kind of just enjoying life at home in the pandemic time right yeah so you've already qualified you're, yeah. you're done yeah. wow every day more than 22 veterans take their lives that's a devastating reality that we can no longer ignore but what if i told you that number actually is much higher according to a recent study the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical, faith-based, peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org, and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. So what, through all that, what did it feel like to actually step out on the Olympic stage? Olympic stage. Yeah. I it mean, was it was definitely a dream come true. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you're like in that moment, you realize like, I've had several moments like that in my life. Not all, not all like sports, but like time in military and combat, you get there and you're like, I've waited my whole life for this moment. Like, and now it's actually here. Like it's arrived. Like, Isn't that crazy? It's, mean, it's going through your head, right? Yeah. While you're stepping out there, right? Yeah. And the fact that, like, well, there's two two sides to it. So first, when you're there and, um, you know, you're just in excitement and you're just, I'm, I was just soaking it all in, just, you know, trying to just not forget the looks and the experience that I was feeling walking on to the stage at the Olympics. Um but there was another thing that I was mentioning to you the other day that that Olympic experience was actually the most loneliest time of my life. I've never felt like more alone and more um, just by myself without God than that time when I needed him most. And I remember like crying and praying like, God, where are you? I don't feel your presence. I don't feel like I feel so lonely. I feel by myself like what's going on. And, um, you know, there's different reasons why I believe that that God withdrew himself from from me because God will do that. God will withdraw himself and his presence when there's times where um, I believe that you're not walking in accordance to his will. And I think um, sometimes he allows you to fill that, you know, that desert time. So I felt that at the Olympics and, you know, the, the biggest stage and. Um, end up having like the worst performance of my life and it definitely wasn't me out there you know so I know everything that I experienced it even it being like a really cool experience being at the Olympics but there's other stuff that I was going through and feeling as well that was iconic in a way of I've never felt more lonely I've never felt mm. um, more deserted than that time so Post Olympics, you know, now it's over with and like 
yeah. we were saying, you know, you waited your whole life to do something and get to somewhere and we, you know, I did it and I'm there and it's over with. And then you're like, now what? Mm. Yeah. Now what do I do? What's <laughs> yeah. next? Like, what am I supposed to do? And so um, I end up, you know, going through my life, you know, doing just my life things. I have my business. You, you stopped know. competing. That was your last. I stopped competing yeah. and I, it was pretty much mentally just drained and exhausted sure, and yeah, really that time yeah yeah it it's, was really that yeah it's gotta be so much turmoil you, you're so you go through six knee surgeries you feel the lord's calling you to to go to the olympics you qualify the olympics then you make it to the olympics and and you know for lack of better words it's a it's a you know your worst performance yet yeah. <laughs> and you're like wrestling with this like lord you called me to do this you know i, I felt this clear calling and and so what now? What am I supposed to do yeah, with this, what do you, this what do you point? Do, what do you do with that experience? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly like, to put it like the whole story short, that's exactly where it comes down to. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, it's over with, but God, like, <laughs> was it just to get here and have my worst performance and then now mm -hmm. I'm supposed to just go on with my life? I mean, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm at this point after Tokyo, I took a, a good year and a half off, no competing. And mm -hmm. I just start pursuing stunts and getting into that field and training and training into that. And parkour, um, parkour, parkour yeah, yeah. yeah. I start picking up parkour, doing different stuff, acrobatics, and I'm loving it. Like I freaking love this now and I'm really getting into it. I'm having fun, I'm enjoying it. And so Taekwondo is really on the back burner. I just don't, I don't have that love for it anymore. Um, whether it's just the experience that I've had with it from the Olympics and then on top of uh, learning new cool things, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I'm just loving that. And then in 2000, when was it? Uh, 2000, yeah, 2022, I ended up getting uh, invited for one of the Grand Prix and, uh, and it was in Italy. And I remember getting the invitation and then something sparked in me. I'm like, oh, I want to go to the Grand Prix again. I'm like, wait, I haven't trained that. Like I'm, I haven't been trained in like a year and a half. So I end up wanting to go, but then I'm like, no, I can't. I just, yeah, I'm not ready. And physically, yeah. mentally, I don't think I'm there yet. So, but, but that did spark something in me like, oh, maybe I'm not done. Maybe I actually do want to come back. I don't know. Um, and so in 2022, I say, you know what, let me go ahead and compete for um, Puerto Rico, go to their nationals and qualify and, and make the Puerto Rican national team at least for 2023. So in 2022, there's the, you know, national qualifiers um, to make national team. So I go, I make national team in the end of 2022. And then 2023, I'm on the national team again and uh, ends up going to um, – the qualifiers for Pan and Games this past year. And I qualified for Pan and Games. And I'm like, wow, God, okay. You know, I just qualified for Pan and Games. Um, all right, it, you know, if this is what you, I'm supposed to do, like, just do it through me. I'm, I don't know what I want. I don't, I just want whatever you want for me at this point. Yeah. You know, I just want what you want me to do. And just please show me. But for the past two years, I haven't really been shown like an exact like this is what I want you to do right and and that's the but that's the beauty and that's mm. the that's the journey of like being walking with the Lord it's like he wants you in constant communication with him asking him 
what is it what that you want me to do and and being alert and and having your spiritual eyes open to see whenever god places certain things in your life and listen you know we're supposed to like listen and we're supposed to watch and be uh be alert um so i think that was like my spiritual walk this year is just really like just being aware and open of whatever opportunities god places at my door well, being at it like an elite level athlete requires a tremendous amount of discipline. Oh. And, and, uh, and so w- just hearing you talk today, like hearing, seeing like you exercise the discipline and obedience, and now you're in a position based on your experience to be able to share it with others. You're you know, right here on this podcast telling that story about obedience to others. And, yeah. and you have your school and you get to go to seminars. We talked about you doing seminars. And, yeah. Uh, so I think that's, I mean, who am I to tell you? You're, 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 you're a purpose, but, uh, but I, I think yeah. that's one of them is to be able to share yeah. your experience with other people and talk about, you know, that journey of obedience. And when you have a journey of obedience, it's maybe the results aren't always what you think they are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. but, but it's exactly what God needs it to be. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think of Job and, you know, Job's life was, he thought it was great. And then it was a complete train wreck. But in the end of the, the, end of the story, his life, you know, was even better isn't, than before. I love Job. I remember, like, I was young uh, reading Job for one of the first times, and I was just like, wow, this is what God does. And I see, you know, similarities in my life. And I know, I know many people you say the same thing. It's just yeah. what God does. And it's a beautiful thing of that, you know, back and forth tugging and, um, you know, like giving things up and just trusting God in the process of hard times and knowing that, with, you know, through faith, that God's going to, God's yeah. got you. God's it's, got you. It's a refinement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think that's the story of uh, just the lesson, the lesson of be- people being able to go, a lot, go out and boldly from their experience, being able to speak about obedience is a very important lesson. Uh, I, I speak about it quite a bit in my, as I go out public speaking. Uh, this year I've been speaking on this message of, uh, of fear um, mm-hmm. and uh, using some of my experience to teach on fear. And a lot of that has to come behind just being obedient because, you know, mm-hmm. fear is... You're going out into the unknown. You don't know what the results yeah. are going to be. All you could be, but if you're going to press forward, you have to do so through obedience. Yes, absolutely. And the Lord, <clears throat> I love this analogy, this detour analogy. I think I, I think we talked about this before, Victoria. Mm. Um, but but um, you know, you you rely on the Lord to show you the path. But sometimes there's a detour in the path, and we we all drive on highways. Detours mm. are terrible. They take us out of the way. There's lots of delays. There's frustrations. Sometimes, well, you, get, sometimes you get detoured through the projects. Yeah. As you, sometimes project. you get detoured through the projects. <laughs> through projects yeah. of life. Yeah. But, <laughs> but what you don't understand is that Good the luck. Lord is doing real work on the roadway mm-hmm. so that later in life you can travel a more smooth and, and clear path. You know, the, the detour is terrible in the time, but, yeah. but it's necessary for the real work to be done so that you can actually pursue the path that he calls you to pursue. And that's what I see in your story. It's just a, an, it's an amazing story of perseverance and, and following the Lord and, and as, as Chad said, walking in obedience. Um, and that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're wrestling uh, with, with, you know, um, letdowns and, 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 you know, things that you would see as failure. So um, <clears throat> what, would you, what would you tell somebody, like, who's wrestling with that, like, who's just wrestling with – feeling like the Lord's called them to this, but it's not really going the way that they thought in their mind, um, you know, this is going to look this way. What, what would you tell? Somebody? So one example is, um, 
So I, I'm, you know, still in the process of like competing. And then I'm also this year got into acting and pursuing stunts more. So like I have this passion of doing acting and stunts and I really... Like Jackie Chan. Yeah, like Jackie Chan. Yeah. And it's just funny because it's like when I was little, I didn't know stunts was a thing. I didn't know like how to get into that world of acting or stunts. But I always wanted to like know, like I knew that was a thing for me. And now that... I'm here at this point. I know the road that I can take to get into stunts and acting. Like, it's so desirable to me. It's just so beautiful. It's just, it's pleasure for me, like, to pursue that road. But then there's this other side of me saying, like, oh, no, you're not done yet in competing. And so I'm like, no, I am done yet. I don't want to do this anymore. It's so hard. It's like there's so much discipline involved. There's so much fasting, and I can't eat yeah. what I want. And, yeah. and just like I have to train when I have to train, you know? And then and acting and stunts, it's not easy. I'm not saying, like, that's the right. easier thing. But for me at this time, it's more desirable because it looks shiny. It's just it's, it's fun. It looks yeah more fun to me right and that, that's it and I'm sure that road is going to be very hard when I decide to fully fully commit because I am in it but um, right now I'm still competing as well and that's the struggle that I was yeah. that I was having you know earlier this summer is like I don't think I'm done competing because there's something in me saying that I have to keep going but I don't want to and I remember it's hard to let go it's it's hard to I mean, let go be, you know, like I still wake up every morning. Uh, every night before I go to bed, I get on a scale. Every morning, I wake up and I stand on the scale. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not competing anymore. I'm never. Gonna, but uh, so it's yeah. just, and I can't let it go. Oh, and I'm like, I'm me. like, I'm three pounds heavy. Like, what, <laughs> I, I'm gonna go sit in a hot bath. Like, why? Like, <laughs> why can't I go to sit down and watch a movie and have a <laughs> eat some popcorn? But yeah. I just like, I can't let it go because it's so just good. that part of this still in me. Yeah. And so you maybe never. I, I'm, not I, you, I'm not encouraging you here, probably. No, no, I don't know. But I, I will say this, like, it, it is actually something that I don't necessarily, like, I was ready to give up, but then there's something in me saying, no, don't, because I think there's still something in there and you don't want to have any regrets going forward because this is the last Olympics. If I, like, I make this Olympics, this is it, you know, the next Olympics for LA, you know, there's definitely that, you know, I'm not looking to do that, but I do know there is still one last Olympics yeah. in me and I don't want to live in regret of, oh, what if I just gave it everything mm. and just committed to that road? I could have probably done it again, right? And I remember this past summer, I was like crying to my parents saying like, I don't want to do Taekwondo anymore. I'm done. I just, I don't want to make weight. I'm just stressful. It's pressure. I don't want to do it. And I remember my dad saying, he's like, you qualify for the Pan Am Games. Give it everything you have commit to it fully and after the pen and games to see where it takes you that's it and i'm like okay you're right so i end up going to a training camp in south america last month for the whole month and i go to the president's cup after five i fight five fights one of the fights i i fight the world champion from mexico who's the world champion from last year and it's the best i've ever felt best i've ever looked one of my best performances i end up getting silver um, in the finals, I was just, I was done. I had two pulled hamstrings. I still have two pulled hamstrings. And, um, at that time, my, Olymp you know, my federation, you know, they were there 
supporting and you know they were impressed and I'm just like whoa you know I'm impressed with myself I didn't know I still had it in me like this and at that moment I'm like okay God you know you put me here I didn't I actually didn't want to be here but you put me here so I'm gonna trust that this is where I'm supposed to be and I'm gonna obey that this is where you have me to be I'm gonna give it everything I have whatever happens I don't I'm I'm at this point where it's not that I don't care, but I'm surrendered yeah. to it. You know, I'm okay, whatever happens, yes or no. So now I'm uh, actually leaving next week to, to go to the Pan Am Games. And then we'll see from there, you know, whether I do well or, or not. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm totally surrendered. I'm excited. I, I feel good. And I think I can do some good work. And then depending on that, we'll um, go to the Olympic qualifiers later next year. Oh wow! It took a turn. I, I, yeah. I was, I was, I thought you were going to where this is over. And, yeah, you know, we're, we're, it looks like <laughs> we're not done yet. Looking no. at yeah. the Olympics, so. we're not. We're, we're looking at Paris yeah. 2024 for sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it, okay. again, it's like, it's not something I, I, after Tokyo, it was like, oh, I have to go to Paris again. But then at the same time, I was like, no, that's too hard. I know exactly the road it takes to get to the Olympics, and it's too hard. I'm yeah. I'm I'm over it. I just want to live a good life. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to go to the movies, eat whatever food I want, work yeah. on my business. Yeah. Live a good life, right? Yeah. But the road to the Olympics, it's just like no, like you can't eat that. No, mm. you you got to go train. No, you, your mindset has to be in it. Uh you you can't just go out, you know, to a party and, you know, it's different mindset yeah. and I just know the pressure that it brings and so I just kind of didn't want to deal with it anymore but then deep down inside me it, something yeah. has been telling me like no this is something you got to yeah. continue to do there. it's still yeah. there yeah so um and I told God I said okay well if it's meant to be you're going to allow that to happen and if not I'm okay with it yeah. you know but I want your will to be done and I want your glory to be uh, shine through me. And I just want to be the vessel, whether it's through, you know, uh, going to the Olympics again or just pursuing stunts and acting full force, you know, show me, show me the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to be cheering for you and, Thank you. And, and praying for you, especially for your knees to hold up. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Dr. Lowe's there in case it, was, Oh yeah. Uh, in case not. <laughs> but, but, cool. Anybody that's here in, in Texas that wants to train with you, uh, yeah. Where, where can they go? Yeah, so I have my school uh, here in the Woodlands, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, well, not here, here, but in the Woodlands, Texas. Yeah. Uh, Believe, Commit, Achieve. So you can go uh, believecommitachieve.com. We do taekwondo and parkour. Uh, that's the cool thing, I think, about the studio is two amazing programs in one gym. And uh, so you like out. things people could jump all, all over. Oh, yeah, my, yeah. This is this is how for the for, for I mean, you may know this, Chad, but for the viewers, too. I mean, this is how, talent does parkour at, yeah. at, uh, <laughs> at Victoria's gym. So it's yeah. cool. He cool. freaking loves it. And for kids, by the way, I mean, if you can find a parkour gym, if you're in the woodlands, then you know where to go. But um, man, the, the it's like a game. To, it's like a play time for them. Yeah. But oh, there's yeah. so much skills involved and, and the balance and, and body awareness and coordination and stuff. The stuff they do is really, actually really, really cool. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, talent does parkour. Yes. So, that's why I've uh, known Sean for, what, a year and a half now? Yeah, something or, like that. About a year and a half. Started, yeah, like, yeah. over a year for Maybe, sure. Yeah, definitely over a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, about a year and a half or so. He's been doing parkour. He freaking loves it. So. Yeah. That's, that's He's cool. so great, yeah. though. Yeah. 
I love so, it. BCA in the Woodlands. That's where BCA, people are. Yeah. Look and it up. Where out for other stuff? People follow you Instagram. Yeah, like, Instagram uh, Victoria Stamball. That's my name. Um, and then on TikTok, it's Victoria Stamball Oli. Um, I I need nice. to get on TikTok more, but. Um, I'm more Instagram, so. Same here, yeah. yeah. I have Same. So hard. I, I guess I have a TikTok that I've, I've never seen personally before. <laughs> but I guess these guys do my TikTok. Yeah. So sorry if anybody's out there sending me a message on TikTok. That's awesome. But uh, my Instagram's what I'm on most. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. I feel you. So. Well, it was awesome having you here. Thank you uh, and, me. And uh, we uh, typically close out with, uh, but since Sean changes the, I'll let you close it out today. Say again. <laughs> They're the closer oh. out today. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is Victoria Stanball, Staying Dangerous. All right.